Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and tonight I'm coming from London and I'm wearing a shirt because it really is actually hot in London. On today's program we have Anthony Doyle from Firetrail Investments and Paul Rickard talks to him about the very important meeting at the end of this week at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where the central bankers of the world get together and talk about really important things like raising interest rates, could they create a recession? All those sorts of things. And business and financial journalists, as well as fund managers and major players in the stock market and the bond market, listen to every word these guys say at this conference. So it's a really important conference and it can move stock markets. And then Raymond Chan of Morgans talks about the second half of reporting season, the trends regarding company earnings and the companies that he likes. And he particularly talks about CSL and Santos. Now, just before we kick off, let's have a look at a couple of things worth making notes on. The market today started the week on a negative note. The index dropped sharply at the sharp, uh, start of trade, and you can blame a negative Wall Street lead for that. The ASX 200 index was down 0.9% or 64 points uh, to a 7,050. Every sector was in the red except healthcare, which was pretty well flat. Consumer tech and real estate stocks really copped it, but the troubled EML payments, which I've talked about quite a bit on this show, was actually up 9.2% after it cut its after-tax losses from a big $28.7 million last year to a low $4.8 million. This company is always in trouble, uh, particularly with the Bank of Ireland for reasons I've explained in the past, but to see that the company is actually on the improve partly explains why I've, I've always kind of stuck with this company, despite the fact that it's continual uh, bad news uh, items have affected the share price. It can be very interesting to see how this company performs in the future. The new CEO is actually basing herself at Samashan in London, and uh, that, a lot of their business is overseas, so it could actually work for them. The health insurer NIB had a good day, up 7.6%. It reported really well. Pilbara Minerals was up 4.2%, which means that the loving of lithium continues. Adbri, which is the old Adelaide Brighton cement business, was down 17.7% today after reporting a 15% drop in half yearly profits. Magellan also lost 11.2%, but it did go ex-dividend and Reliance Worldwide was down 7%. That's a good business. You'll you see a lot of these building businesses are not doing all that well because um, rising interest rates can affect their businesses. Also, rising uh, uh, input costs because of the pandemic and the lockdowns have affected a lot of these businesses. An interesting one was Nearmap, up 5.3%. had a big rise last week, but it's got a $1.6 billion takeover from a private equity firm called Tomo Bravo, and the company's sort of supporting it. Ampile was up 2% uh, after doubling its dividend. Nick Scarley also had a really good time. Now, this is a retailer, and retailers aren't all that favoured at the moment, but he reported very well. Shares are up about 3% to $10.32. And what, what else we've got there? I think that's probably the, the main stories of the, the day worth talking about. I, the Star Entertainment Group reported a, a loss of $199 billion and its share price was down about 2%. Now, in today's Switzer report, I argue we've seen a sneak preview of what happens to tech and growth stocks when the interest rate cycle ends or appears to be ending. We've seen it with our market 
once down 15% in June or to June, and now it's down only 7%. The US market was down 24% and now it's down 15%. And that was all because of the improved outlook for interest rates. So these rebounds actually shows what happens when the market thinks interest rate rises are pretty well over or are bound to end pretty soon. The sell-off today on our market was linked to a new view in the US that came out on Friday, basically, that rates still might go higher. But let me tell you, that's just guesswork. September 13 is going to be the really important time. That's when the next inflation number comes out. And if it's, a, if it's lower than 8.5%, the market will like it. At the moment, there's toing and froing, and there's also profit takers who've done really well because of those market rebounds. This is going to be an untrustworthy period to be worried about stocks. Quite frankly, if the market goes down 3 or 4%, I'm going to be a buyer of the stocks, of stocks I like. Uh, and what kind of stocks might I be buying? I might buy losers. In actual fact, it's a pretty good strategy to buy losers today, which will be winners tomorrow. Bob Dylan, in a great song called Times Out of Change, he said, and the losers today, tomorrow will win. But when it comes to losing stocks, I like to bet on quality losers. And it's a great way of investing, uh, investing for those who are patient. Let me give you one easy example to prove my point. When the coronavirus crash happened, the CBA uh, is our best bank by miles, and one of the best banks in the world fell to $60 and is now $100. Those people who took the bet that this was a quality loser, but one day would win again, they've got a 66% return in the space of less than two years. And those who bought CBA then are getting a dividend of 6% plus before franking credits. Yep, Bob Dylan was right. Tomorrow, the losers will win. And I think as long as you're buying quality, it's a pretty good strategy. Now, let's get on with the show. Paul Ricard talking to Anthony Doyle. Later this week, the US Federal Reserve meets in Wyoming at Jackson Hole for its annual think tank or sojourn where it talks about what's going to happen in the markets coming up and releases a statement uh, on Friday. That'll be a big event in the US on Friday because uh, people will be looking for signs about what the Fed's thinking about inflation and interest rates. But to join me now to discuss that and also his outlook for the uh, more local conditions and a couple of interesting stocks, I'm joined by Anthony Doyle, the Head of Investment Strategy at Firetrail. Anthony, welcome to the program. Cheers, Paul. Thanks for having me. So the Fed, this is uh, where it all comes together. They have a two-day retreat. This is where all the, uh, the governors get together. Um, what are your expectations? What do you think the market will, will be waking up to or listening to on, on Friday when, uh, when we get a bit, a bit of a debrief on the, uh, on the Jackson Hole yeah, meeting? Yeah, I mean, it's known as Glastonbury for central bankers for a reason. So um, the market fully focused on what Chair Powell may say, reading the tea leaves mm -hmm. and trying to understand what the path of interest rates might be for the US Federal Reserve going forward. Now, there's a lot of debate in the market at the moment following the last meeting of the Federal Reserve, where some analysts and some market participants mm -hmm. thought that potentially the US Fed might take their foot off the, the brakes a little bit and not tighten interest rates by as quickly as the market had been anticipating. And we've had a, a big run up in equities, global equity markets since. 
So uh, some Fed speakers, some of the members of the committee have come out saying, no, you're wrong. We're going to keep hiking interest rates while ever inflation is high um, and uh, not declining fast enough. So that's really what the markets are focusing on this week. What will Jay Powell say? Will he be more aligned with the Fed speakers or potentially suggest that we're getting close to the end of the Fed rate okay, hiking so cycle? After, after saying that, what's, what's your view? I think the Fed keeps hiking until mm -hmm. the end of the year, um, whether it's so by, half percent next time, three yeah, quarter percent. What they're probably going to hike by three quarters of mm -hmm. a percent at its next meeting on the 22nd of September. Um, there's a couple more meetings before the end of the year, um, at which point they will stop around three and a half percent. Now, the big difference now, which is important for equity investors, is that you're going to see interest rates plateau. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to quickly reverse, even if inflation starts to decline back to more manageable levels. Those, um, those time periods of ultra low interest rates, they're gone. Um, so the market going forward will be a lot more um, dispersed and a lot more about active investment management rather than simply piling into cheap ETFs yep. And hoping the rising tide lifts all the well, boats. Well, you're you're, a you're an active fund manager, so you would say that. So well, of <laughs> course, of course. But you know they're very complementary. Yeah. But uh, again, too often you've seen that investors have piled into uh, passive exposure and they've had unintended exposures. Say some of those really growthy type names um, that have led the sell off over the last. So the rally months. that we've seen since sort of mid June, we've had a pretty strong July. Pretty good week last week until the market got a little nervous on Friday, and I guess it's going to be nervous this week a little bit. Are we going to look back? Is, is that going to be, was June the bottom, do you think? Or do you think we're going to look back and this is just a bit of a, you know, we could get a retest. In other words, the sort of rally was off an oversold market, maybe it's a little bit of a correction to the bear market. What's your, what's your take on it at the moment? Yeah, I think June was really levels of peak bearishness mm -hmm. in terms of sentiment. Uh, people were extremely negative, particularly given interest rates being hiked, inflation very high. Uh, I think going forward, what we're likely to see is not reaching those levels of peak pessimism again, mm -hmm. but a market which is really trending sideways. And as I mentioned, you know, the reason for being so carefully allocating yep. in capital yep. markets is there will be winners and there will be losers um, from this environment, particularly a world where the cost of capital interest rates is higher. Yeah. So, I mean, your, your idea about sort of three and a half percent Fed rate, I mean, that's the bond market in the short, short part of the curve in the US is almost there, right? The, the longer end is a bit, uh, bit more bullish. So the, is the market got to just, do you think it's the market's going to have to price in just slightly higher interest rates still? Or if we had a, too much of a rally in the, in the bond market and maybe the equity markets uh, at the moment? Yeah, I mean, the long end of um, the yield curve in particular is really focused on recession and mm -hmm. how shallow or how deep it's going mm -hmm. to be and how um, the labour market responds, you know, how much will unemployment rise and therefore growth slow uh, as consumption mm -hmm. starts to weaken. Mm -hmm. And that obviously has an impact on the outlook for equity markets as well. So what I anticipate is uh, we'll likely see some stabilisation in yields, potentially the curve flatten rather than invert meaningfully. Yep. Um, particularly at the long end of the curve, but the short end, um, those short maturities, that's likely to remain um, at these levels. Okay, so maybe uh, a quieter overall market, but it doesn't mean that individual stocks won't be doing a lot of things. Exactly, yeah. So let, let's just bring it back home locally. So we're uh, obviously reporting season is a really big thing in our market because uh, company profits are ultimately what you buy when you buy a share price. What's your take, what's Firetrail's view in terms of how reporting season is going so far? 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of companies uh, actually beat consensus expectations or, or analyst expectations. So the earnings season, the results season has been pretty good relative mm -hmm. to expectations. And as I mentioned, expectations weren't particularly great to begin yep. with. Um, so earnings have been good, but a lot of companies are really reporting that the cost pressures have risen significantly. Yeah. Um, and companies are also guiding going forward to a much more challenging environment as you would expect. Yeah. Um, so there isn't much by the way of um, forward guidance from companies. Um, a lot of them are hesitating in terms of being too, um, too clear on, on what, might, uh, what the future might hold going forward. Um, so it's really a, a case of, of wait and see and potentially the Q3, Q4 earnings results um, might be a bit closer to what uh, analysts had been expecting in terms of a slowdown in terms of the outlook, which is exactly what you would expect when interest rates are rising and the economy is slowing, particularly the global economy. Yeah, I thought, uh, look, I haven't seen the data, but I thought some of the companies would be even more conservative, right? I mean, mm. it's very hard to think, think you're in a position of being a CEO on a board and you got to talk about inflation and recession and slowing economies. We don't know what the pressures are. You know, you think you'd be just fairly conservative on your guidance, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's uh, it's probably tracking okay in my in my view, but um, yeah. I, I thought we'd get even more conservatism from some of the companies. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the makeup of the Aussie market in mm -hmm. particular, you know, we're benefiting from high commodity prices, yep. even though they've come off to some extent. Um, so Australia, the Australia Aussie equity market, big allocation or big weight towards basic materials resources, that's done pretty well. If you talk about the behemoths. Um, and in terms of the banks, um, the banks are still reporting very, very low loan yep. loss, rate, loss yep. rates, which is a reflection well, of... Negative bad debts, right? Exactly. Um, yep. So a reflection of uh, ultra low unemployment. So unemployment only 3.5% in Australia, extraordinarily low. Um, so the question mark for investors in the big banks going forward, so whilst they are throwing off a big dividend yield, um, the question mark is in that slowing economy, an environment where rates are rising, house prices are falling, uh, what uh, should the banks start to consider for, for loan loss provisions and, and the uh, extent to which defaults may pick up from their, their lending books? Yeah, okay. All right, now you, um, I want to talk about a couple of interesting stocks uh, that, that you like, particularly in the global portfolio. Probably names that we aren't familiar with, but uh, they're doing some interesting things. So one of the ones you were talking to me about uh, off camera was around this uh, in the diesel fuel business, but green diesel, is that right? Or, or it's sort of, just, just, just go through a couple of these companies that, uh, uh, you know, I think it, uh, inv local investors might, might like to think about. Yeah. yeah, Paul, so the top selling vehicle in Australia for the last five years has been the Toyota Hilux Ute. And if you're a tradie and you own a Toyota Hilux, you're probably sick to death of hearing about the electric vehicle mm -hmm. revolution. Yep, yep. And you you're want hard, the power, right? You're yeah. hardly <laughs> gonna fit your tools into the Tesla, yeah. uh, for example. Yeah. So what we've done at Firetrail is find a way that the ute drivers of the world can drive their diesel engine, internal combustion engine vehicles with, but have a 95% less carbon footprint and 60 to 90% less greenhouse gas um, emission output and that's via renewable diesel. Mm. So the company we've invested in, in, in uh, my fund, the Firetrail S3 Global Opportunities Fund, is a company called Darling Ingredients, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, over a hundred years old, and they make renewable diesel from used cooking oil. Right. Um, so they have relationships with 200,000 restaurants across America. They go in and they extract the used cooking oil and they produce renewable diesel from it. Um, they also use animal offcuts 
they separate the fat and the protein, they render it down and they can make renewable diesel from animal offcuts as well. So typically 50% of a meat carcass is thrown away after you get your sirloin, your T-bone, your beef cheeks. Um, and this is what Darling Ingredients does. And the great way in terms of getting exposure to Darling Ingredients is uh, the renewable diesel price is benefiting from the US Inflation Reduction Act, which has just passed through. Biden's just passed yep, it, yep. almost half a, half a trillion of stimulus into the US economy. There are subsidies in there to produce renewable diesel. So you're talking about a dollar a gallon for renewable diesel, a dollar 60 a gallon for renewable airline fuel. Uh, and that's a company, Darling Ingredients, really benefiting from high energy prices, but you don't have to own the traditional fossil fuel extractors like a, an ExxonMobil or a Shell to get exposure to the high energy price complex. And that's one thing that we're investing in it today. Thanks, Antti. That sounds like a really interesting company. That was Anthony Doyle, the Head of Investment Strategy at Firetrail Investments. Well, we're into the uh, second last week of reporting season. This is a big week, but uh, about halfway through, we're starting to see some trends in terms of what the companies are telling us and just what the outlook is for uh, company earnings. Joining me now to discuss that is Raymond Chan. He's the head of the Asian desk with, uh, with Morgans. Raymond, welcome to the program. Thanks for the invite. What's your overall take on reporting season? Is it a, is it a boomer out there or what, what are we seeing? Uh, we're seeing company um, uh, bought in uh, in line with expectations. So they're sort of meeting the expectation. However, if we uh, compare uh, the, the uh, all the recent reporting season, uh, we see certainly seeing far less company beating the market expectation. Uh, not that bad over there for those who rely on or would love to receive the dividend income because the dividend growth is pretty much in line with the historical trend. And um, the all important, the FY23 outlook, again, we don't see um, significant uh, earning revision here. What I mean here is, you know, sector to sector basis, you know, we still, we still seeing a bit of earning upgrade on the value and financial stocks and continue downgrade on the high PE stocks. But net net, we're seeing the FY23 stay at around you know the, the the previous level before we're going into the reporting season that's why the market sort of you know gone back to um the, the the fair value that we have but then struggle to move a lot higher because now the market is trading around uh well our, our fair value is which is seven thousand one hundred. um a lot of install is still sitting on a lot of cash um I think what happened is the sales side, as I mentioned before, the sales side been pretty conservative going into the reporting season, but they are less, uh, they're even more bearish going into the AGM season. So sort of holding quite a fair, fair bit of cash and want to see what happened to the AGM season in October. Is that because, uh, you know, this time of the, you know, we're very early into the year, you know, five weeks or six weeks into the year, lots of discussion around higher interest rates, inflation, cost pressures, that companies are sort of, you know, being a bit conservative in terms of their guidance and how they're um, thinking about uh, FY23. Yeah, this is exactly right. Um, we, we hear from a lot of companies like uh, JB Hi-Fi, realestate.com, uh, super retail group, 
they are soft telling us, you know, the the inflation, inflationary pressure, it got mentioned, but it yet to bite into the earnings. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, we have, you know, uh, other retailer telling us, yeah, there has been, you know, significant supply chain disruption. However, they're seeing the easing of this disruption going into the second half of this financial year. So those are the two things that make the market think, mm, things may not be as bad. But equally, as you suggested, it could be because this is the beginning of the financial year. They have yet to see a meaningful impact of all these things happening. Uh, I think the, the most notable one would be from Combank. Combank, mm -hmm. uh, they sort of suggested, uh, yes, you know, the credit environment is pretty stable. However, they, they start to see the, the home buyer, the homeowner uh, cutting down on their credit card spending. Uh, so this is, you know, uh, very credible because they're the biggest credit card issuer in Australia, and they usually have the figures well ahead, surprisingly well ahead of the RBA. So it, it, this is the indication they provided to us. So that could be an early sign. Yeah. I mean, is there also now a bit of a trend that um, maybe it's a function of, of, of commodity prices? I don't know. And that sort of we get the reporting season starts okay, and then as you drag on, it just gets a bit worse. Is it? Is it sort of we're now getting almost the two halves? The first half tends to be better than the second half. Are you any any data to support that uh, that hypothesis? Okay, uh, with the reporting season, we normally see. I don't know if this is a trend or anything. With the reporting season, we normally see better quality result come up first. Mm -hmm. So according to the, the number of company that are under our coverage, around thirty five percent of the company reported. And it's fair to say they are not as outstanding as before. Yeah. And I consider that already to be the good quality company. So uh, the, the trend for future reporting season, as you mentioned, may not be as great. We may continue to see a deterioration of reporting season. However, of course, in Australia, we only got two reporting season. That's why the AGM season will be important. In US, we got four reporting. Yeah. We got quarterly reporting. So we got more timely trend however if the this reporting season according to the 35 percent of the company that we have witnessed the trends are not as strong as before yeah okay let's go to one of the companies that did report last week and is actually up today in a, in a down market that's csl uh you know it uh immediately reported the market sold it off and then it, it bought it again on thursday and it sort of struggled to get through 300 and we're still not there What's the uh, what's the Morgan view on uh, on CSL? Uh, we maintain an ad recommendation on CSL. Obviously, to to understand the CSL, as most most of you would know, you know seventy five percent of the earnings is from um, CSL bearing, which is the plasma derived product. We treat a wide range of uh, disease such as you know, uh, HPV, immunity immunity disorder, uh, uh, blood clots, etc. etc. Um, that plasma is collected by another division of CSL called CSL Plasma. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's 75% of the earnings. And we have 25% of the earnings come from another division, uh, the Securus. The Securus, which doing all the long plasma uh, product, such as, you know, the influenza vaccine, that under very strong demand. So what happened when they announced the result, they say the FY22, uh, while it meet the guidance, is actually below the market expectation. 
is because of the plasma collection still constrained by the COVID. And the good news, of course, is um, they say the plasma collection now back to pre-COVID level. And then they also talk about the FY23 outlook is around 6 to 11%. That seems to be a bit on the low side. However, they did make a disclaimer, you know, with last year uh, welfare uh, acquisition, um, they have yet to include that on their projection. This is, uh, this is the V4 farm will, or now CSL V4, they're calling it, right? The, the, the business that exactly. yep. involves so, kidney disease, yeah? Exactly, and iron deficiency as well. And this is, of course, something um, CSL never never saw of touch before. Um, so, however, the one thing we have to look at is, you know, uh, plasma, you know, they, they are not always have huge demand. There were a time, you know, uh, Paul can tell everyone, you know, there were a time, you know, plasma has a, has a global oversupply. Uh, but what CSL did, Back then, that was, I recall, it's 2004. Mm -hmm. uh, they actually go out and acquire another plus, acquire the competitor, and that make them become the biggest yeah. plasma player in the world. So uh, with the acquisition that they make, they, 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 they have yet to have meaningful information to confirm the guidance. They will provide some update to the market in October. So the market, when they look at it, 6 to 11%, uh, maybe a bit on the low side, However, if we include this new acquisition, that will quite easily get, get them back into the double-digit earning growth. So I feel this is the reason why after the initial sale of the CSL uh, actually gone back up. And you, you rightly point out, you know, it briefly touched 300, but, you know, yet to uh, meaningfully break about the $300 uh, magic mark. Yeah. So you, you have an ad recommendation on the stock. I mean... Uh... As you say, as, I, as you mentioned, it's struggling to get back through $300. I mean, do you think it's a buy right here? Or, you know, what, what would your advice be to, uh, you know, potential uh, medium to long-term investors? Uh, I guess, you know, different people have different view and they, they, they should always uh, uh, seek the advice from their advisor. Mm -hmm. However, CSL is a growth-oriented stocks, uh, paying very little dividend, so you're buying for growth. So for growth with... A, a good level of tolerance. I think, you know, CSL is, is a hole uh, to buy. Uh, of course, it's better buy if it's below 290 because our target price is only around $320. So right. now, as of today, you know, the, the upside is, you know, less than 10%. Um, so someone really have to have a long-term view to buy now rather than to wait for the pullback. As I mentioned, you know, AGM season is coming up, you know, that could be you know, market volatility um, mm -hmm. that will allow us to, you know, potentially pick up stocks at a, at a, at a lower price. Let's go to another uh, part of the market. Let's look at the oil stocks because we haven't had Woodside report, but we have had Santos. Uh, Santos looks incredibly cheap against Woodside, but it hasn't really been performing. So uh, what's your take on, uh, on Santos? Uh, we uh, spoke to the management uh, last week uh, after the result. Uh, we we're actually quite comfortable with Santos. Okay, like first of all, the result meet the market expectation. However, what happened here is uh, the market would hope to have a bigger dividend. However, Santos decided to go for the market uh, the share market buyback, and. When a company go for a share market buyback, in my opinion, I, I love that because the rest of the shareholder actually can benefit long term. Uh, 
However, some may argue, you know, if you're buying back the market, uh, and arguably this is not the bottom of the cycle mm -hmm. for the oil, oil and gas company. Um, so they may think uh, you may overpay a little bit uh, on the share market buyback. And the other thing, of course, is um, the, the Alaska uh, project, which of course is long call to, to Santos, but they still want to, you know, they still plan ahead. They still want to go ahead and, and invest. Of course, the management suggests, you know, this is not a must have, but this is a very good project. They should continue to look into it. Um, so I think the market thing, you know, they still try to work on the Alaska project may uh, extract a lot from the capital spending. But I guess what the market failed to see is there's a lot of positivities on the result. First of all, the PNG LNG, they've been talking about selling it down. Now they're very comfortable and say, you know, they were able to sell the 5% of the next couple of months. Uh, mm -hmm. I think they say few months, not couple of months. I think they say they few months and announce an increased share market buyback and the potential to sell. This means they're quite confident. They'd be able to sell this 5%. It's not the PNG LNG, LNG project not good, but it's just a too big of the overweight in the portfolio. Yep. So selling that I think is, is provide good price catalyst for Santos. Another thing, I think that eventually, you know, with the right price, Santos will press a button and sell uh, the, the Alaska uh, project, which I think at least two projects, uh, two catalysts in front of us uh, for patient investor, you know, who, who don't mind to uh, sit with the oil and gas company and see for the long term. And your, um, your target price and recommendation on uh, Santos at the moment? Yeah, the target price is around the $8 mark. We have an ad recommendation in uh, Santos. Okay, so an add, add on Santos, an add on CSL, uh, both potentially for the long-term investor. Uh, but look, we have to keep on watching reporting season because we've got uh, two more important weeks to go. But uh, sounds like for your view, it's just a little bit on the soft side, but maybe that's uh, companies being conservative looking ahead, uh, given the, uh, I guess the outlook is a bit challenging in that regard. So. Anyhow, look, great to catch up with you, uh, Raymond. Thanks for sharing those views. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. That was Raymond Chan, the head of the Asian desk at Morgan's. And that's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you on Thursday. And remember, if you want to read that story of mine, go to Switzerreport, switzerreport.com.au.